It is good to have some of our sick back in our services. And again, there's several out, except for Roger. I mean, Roger's here. I mean, that's just... So I'm going to get one more service without you here, brother. But no, brother, we're, we're glad you're here. All right, Romans chapter 4, the first eight verses this evening. What shall we say then that Abraham our father has pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherefore to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we do thank you for your word and ask your blessing upon the message tonight, Lord. Please control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. May your word strengthen us and draw us closer to you. And may uh, even, even continue, Lord, as we're going through such key doctrines to, to create a strong foundation, uh, Lord, in our life that we would uh, be strong in our own salvation, of course, and the knowledge of it, and to be able to effectively present it to others. So, Lord, please bless tonight and use this to help us. And if there is anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, we do pray for their salvation, uh, Lord, this evening. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we're coming into chapter 4. And the first two and a half, getting into three chapters, was Paul making the case that it doesn't matter who you are, that you are condemned before God. Chapter 1, driving into after his introduction, that from the agnostic, the atheist, to the wicked, the vile, uh, those who once had knowledge of God and have turned from him and, and, and how they are condemned. But then he went into the religious man, the moral man, the Jew. didn't matter. All are condemned before God. And as we got into more into chapter 3, he started really developing the doctrine of justification, of teaching uh, uh, about how this works. Okay, so if we're all condemned before God, what hope does man have? I mean, if the whole purpose of the law was not to save us, but it was to show us our need of salvation, which is what it wasn't, how do we actually obtain salvation? And even last week we got into that and dealing with the means of salvation, Jesus Christ, God becoming a man. The method would be by faith because of, of, of his death on the cross and all that that meant, how that put God in a place to be able to, to even though he is holy, even though he is just, that's not changing. It put God in a place where he could justify man. He could make you righteous. He could declare you righteous. And so he's been laying down the theology of justification. And now in chapter 4, he uses Abraham throughout the entire chapter to develop an illustration of theology, which is what we're going to look at today in the first eight verses. Paul is going to continue to expound upon that. And this is just a great chapter. I don't know how often in witnessing I have used uh, these first several verses of Romans chapter four 
and demonstrating how salvation works, how justification works. Because the truth is, the great question is, is salvation by faith alone or is it by works as well? I mean, you could take, for instance, the Catholic Church. They, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church. They do believe in salvation by faith. They will tell you that. But they do not believe in faith alone. Even this, sum, this past summer in August, I was reading two different of their writers, current contemporary writers of today, making the arguments how it is not faith alone. So it is this chapter that helps to make clear when it comes to justification that it is by faith alone. Paul will use Abraham as this illustration throughout this entire chapter. In our text today, he will also touch on a psalm of David. And it's an important psalm that he brings up. So we're going to be talking about David, uh, Moses, or excuse me, Moses, Abraham as well as David today. I mean, the truth is, the majority of people on this planet outside of excluding your, your atheists, that those who actually believe they need some sort of salvation. Almost all believe in a works-type salvation. doesn't matter which direction you work. I've already brought up Catholicism, how it is works-based. That is true of Judaism, which is true of Judaism of, of Paul's day, which is what he's trying to, uh, uh, Paul trying to present his argument in relation to Judaism, how it is works-based and how that will never work. But that is true of Hinduism, Buddhism. Even though they might not believe in a heaven and hell, but from reincarnation or whatever form it is, their salvation, their merit, it's it, it, it somehow works-based to appease some type of deity. The idea of salvation by simply faith alone, people find challenging to believe. They can't seem to grasp really that level of, of love and grace. And what's fascinating is where Paul's going to go with their obvious conclusions. We get into chapter 4, chapter 5, because chapter, chapter 4 and 5, he's going to develop more of justification. All that Christ did for us and tying that back, in, back into Adam as we get into chapter 5 to what Christ did. And, and he's going to get into chapter 6 because the, 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 the claim is always, well, if you actually believe that, then you could go and sin and you'll never lose your salvation. If it's just by faith alone with nothing else, that's all you have to do is place your faith in Christ and it's done, then you can go and murder 20 people. You could go and rob banks and you're just fine. What Paul's going to answer that in chapter 6, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! So we'll get to that when we get to chapter 6. So, this chapter though, we're going to begin today going in the first he uses Abraham in three different ways in this chapter. We're going to look at the first way that he uses him, uses him as an illustration. And this chapter helps make clear that when it comes to justification, it is by faith alone. So we're going to look at two things, primarily just the... the, the it's two points. The first point will be the bulk of the message here this evening. We're going to look at righteous Abraham... And then we will look at repentant David. How both were justified. Alright, so let's, let's, let's jump back in here to the very first verse here. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherefore to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. Let me stop there. So, first, why did Paul pick Abraham? I mean, think about it. I mean, this is he, he, is, he is really just picking the perfect 
person for this. Um, I mean, for one, he's before the law. So he, he, he transcends that. He's prior to the law and that dispensation we call law and, and whatnot. The Jews looked at Abraham as the ultimate example in their history of a righteous man. Perhaps him more than any other in their history. The Jews actually taught that is why God chose him to be the father of his people um, because, the, because of his righteousness. Paul is picking the perfect person to illustrate justification is by faith alone. Now, listen, I want to listen to what different Jewish writers have said about Abraham. Um, and, and some of these will be quotes, some will just be, be paraphrasing. Um, they talked about how Abraham kept the law by anticipation and intuition. He expected the law to be of a certain nature, even though it actually hadn't been given yet. He anticipated what it would be, and intuitively, he kept the law. And that is, that's why they taught, it goes on to say, that's why that God gave him the Abrahamic covenant, going back to Genesis chapter 12, because God saw this righteous man. And so... God made a covenant with him. Because here was a man that, as the Jews taught, that even though the law wasn't given yet, he was so close, to, so close to God that he knew the very essence of what the law would be and he was living it out. There's an ancient apocryphal book called Ecclesiasticus. And in that book it teaches that Abraham was given justification uh, and the privilege of circumcision because he earned it by his law-keeping. In fact, within that book, it also discusses how he was one of the seven men that based on their own merit brought, brought back the Shekinah glory, the presence of God to abide in the tabernacle. They even get ridiculous with it, saying that he actually began to serve God faithfully at three years of age. In the book of Jubilees, this is going back about 200 years before Christ, it minimizes the overall weaknesses of Abraham. It even has, let me give a quote from this book concerning Abraham. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. So Paul, Paul I mean, you know who he was. I mean, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he was on path to be head of the primary religious school of the day, the number one seminary. He knows what they believe about Abraham. So he is going to, to the absolute best person to demonstrate that, that your justification has nothing to do with, quote, your righteous life. Paul is going to demonstrate that if Abraham was not justified by works, then no one possibly could be. Again, he is the perfect example to use. Let me quote from one commentator talking about the life of Abraham in regard to this. He says this, Paul attacks the opponents of justification by faith at the very fortress in which they felt they were strongest at the point of Abraham. If Abraham was not justified works, then no one could be because uh, um, they deemed Abraham to be the most righteous man of his generation. If Abraham was not justified works, then no one could be. On the other hand, 
If Abraham didn't need to be justified works because you could be justified by faith, then all men can be justified by faith. If Abraham was not justified by his works, no man could be. If Abraham was justified by faith, all man can be and must be. So he's going to the... He is going to their best example that what in the Jewish mindset is, is the perfect picture of a righteous man that they believe that the reason why God justified him, they believe he did that, but that God did that based on the man's righteousness. I mean, he did have an amazing life of obedience. I mean, like you said in verse 1, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? What that's referring to by, in, that, in that statement is meaning his works, his merits, his natural efforts. Uh, uh, and he, he did live a righteous life as compared to other men. Uh, I mean, he was the one who forsook his family, forsook his land uh, unto a place that he knew not of, just following God. He was the one that was, in fact, willing to offer up Isaac. He was the one that led the life of a pilgrim. We see him expounded upon greatly in Hebrews chapter 11. He truly did follow the Lord, even to the point that he was called a friend of God. Paul states, and if Abraham was justified works, he could glory. In other words, he could boast. He could say, look what my righteous life got me before God. I mean, if we are justified by works, that would allow for boasting. We could say, look at what my righteous life accomplished. That's what Paul's saying there. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherefore to glory. However, we know that is not possible. It's truly ignorant of the true purpose of the law anyhow. It was never given as a means of salvation, but to show the need of salvation. It was to show the righteous standard that man could never obtain because of his sinful nature. Even Abraham, with his amazing life, struggled with sin. And we see it in the scriptures. He was not directed by God to head Egypt. He went in Egypt. Or, when his wife Sarah came to him to tell him, why don't you go on to Hagar, my handmaiden? This will be the way that God fulfills his promise. I, I cannot speculate as to all the, and the Bible doesn't elaborate enough for us to go into that. It was, certainly was a wrong decision. But I'm certain that was a wrong decision at many levels with Abraham. The truth is, even when we look at as as a people of God, even as even as us who are saved trying to follow God, the truth is the best of our works is full of imperfections. That's true. We are sinful creatures. Even the best of your works is going to be full of problems and holes. We need mercy and we need grace. And this is what Paul is trying to get them to see. He's trying to get them to see, listen, if Abraham wasn't saved by works, neither are you. Amen. 
Epistle, Paul's first argument, he uses two arguments. He uses one of Scripture and one of reason. Verse 4 and 5, he's going to switch to reason. The first three are based upon Scripture. Go to Genesis chapter 15. God is having a conversation with Abraham. He is receiving his word. There, there is, again, there is a, a progressive revelation that takes place in Scripture in regards to a coming Messiah that would lead to salvation being proclaimed to all families of the earth, to all the world that would take place. And God is giving more information about that, more instruction about how this is going to come about. It's going to get even narrower as this goes on, as it's going to end up coming through Judah, which we're going to touch on David, who is going to be of that family even here in just a few verses. But here it says this in verse number 6 about Abraham. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Interesting word. All right, go back to Romans chapter 4. It quotes it, For what saith the Scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Paul's going to, Paul is simply using Scripture now. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to show you. If you think it's my works, Abraham was never, never declared righteous, was never made righteous. Don't forget what the word justification means. It was a legal term. It was a court room term to be declared righteous innocent not guilty to be made righteous and he says listen it was never based although he knows Abraham comparatively speaking was a man who who was obedient who followed God who had uh, lived uh, as compared to other men a righteous life but it could never save him it could never justify him so what did it Paul says this, and the Bible tells us, even our great father Abraham, he was justified by faith alone. It uses the word counted here. This word in chapter 4 is used a total of 11 times, the Greek word. It is translated in different ways. It's translated as reckon and several forms of the word impute. It's the exact same uh, word behind it. In every case, 11 times. That word is used both in financial and in legal settings. It means to take something that belongs to someone and credit it to another's account. Now listen, this is important, that word used 11 times in chapter 4. It is a one-sided transaction. To impute. There was nothing that Abraham did to accumulate unto justification. 
God simply took his own righteousness, which Abraham had to have in order to be saved. Because God is holy, because God is just. And he credited it to Abraham. He imputed his righteousness unto Abraham as if it was his. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because he believed in what was coming. He believed in the Lord. In the instruction that was given. Abraham had faith in what God was telling him, in his word, and what God was doing in order to save him. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Abraham believed what God was telling him about the coming Messiah. Galatians chapter 3 is Paul once again expounding on justification alone by faith. And he, too, he uses Abraham again here in this section. Verse 6 he says this, Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Um, then it goes on how the gospel would go out throughout all the world. Let me jump down here. Um, let's just go to verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto his seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. In other words, as he's summing it up, the, what the faith that Abraham is, is believing in is as God is, is communicating with him and letting him know what he needs to do, why he's calling him out, is all because of this plan of redemption that is to come. And guess who believed in it and trusted in it? Abraham, the moment he did, guess what happened? <laughs> Imputed righteousness. Not because of how he lived, but because of his faith. Again, as it goes on to tell us, look at verses 4 and 5 of Romans chapter 4. Now to him that worketh is a reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Paul is now using reason. He's used scripture. Now he uses reason. Just think about this. Now to him that worketh is a reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Same word used once again. Again, if being declared righteous, if God declares me or justifies me based upon my works, that God sees something in me, oh, look at the righteousness of him. I will justify him because he wants to follow my law. Bam. That's not, that's not how this works. That then, as it, it uses the word debt here, what it means is contractual payment. That that means that that's, that's, that's a... That's a salary that's owed to me because of what I did. That if that's the case, but we, that's, it's, it's all of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor. And salvation is all of grace. Under a salvation by works, everything will be dependent upon the sinner. Whereas salvation by grace, 
Everything is dependent upon the Savior. Think about this. When it comes to a trial, this is important. This is a very good illustration, I think, of to try and understand what Paul is driving at. Uh, if a trial is taking place, the only way a, police, a, a person can beg for mercy is if they plead guilty. If they claim innocence, there's no begging for mercy. Do you understand that? But if you plead guilty, now you have the recourse of mercy. The person who decides to plead innocent, his hope is in a fair trial. Our problem is this. God is the judge. We're not innocent. If you want to have a trial based on your life and your works, you will be guilty. You don't want the fair trial. You just want to claim guilt now and get the mercy. Now, let's go over to James chapter 2. Let me cover very quickly what I did briefly, what I did more thoroughly when I went through the book of James. Because there are some who like to say there's a contradiction here between Paul and James. Look at verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye standing, you give them, uh, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee uh, my faith by my works. And then he will go on in verse 21 to use Abraham as an example as well. So some say, well, there's a contradiction here. Because they say James teaches his faith plus works, where Paul says it is, uh, it is salvation without, it is justification without works. But there is no contradiction here whatsoever. Both are in complete agreement. The two men are fighting different problems. Paul is making the theological case that salvation itself, justification is received by faith alone. Paul is fighting the crowd who believes salvation is by works. James is not fighting that crowd. Paul is talking about those who say you must follow the law to be saved. James is fighting those who believe salvation doesn't change you. James is fighting those who claim salvation, but it never changed their life. Paul is saying before God, we are justified by faith alone. James is saying a living faith, a true faith will produce works and will be demonstrated before men. James is saying the only way you see Abraham's faith, us, is by his works. 
Paul is dealing with justification before God, while James is dealing with justification before men. You see, it's like this. Paul is looking at justification prior to conversion, while James is looking at it after conversion. Paul is dealing with the root of justification, while James is dealing with the fruit of justification. Let me quote, I I remember going through this and a commentator, boy, he had nailed this. This is a great comparison in this simple quote between Romans 4 and James 2. Paul is talking about inward justification. James is talking about outward demonstration. Paul is talking about the provision of salvation. James is talking about the proof of salvation. Paul is talking about the means of salvation. James is talking about the marks of salvation. There is no contradiction. We are justified before God by faith alone, apart from works. However, saving faith will have works. This also proves true in regards to the two meanings of the word justification. Let me quote the two meanings that are given for the definition, uh, definition of justification. Number one, to acquit and to treat as righteous. Number two, to vindicate, to show, or to demonstrate as righteous. Paul was using the first definition, while James is using the second meaning of justification. And by the way, you can see Paul and James in complete agreement in places like Titus 1.16, Titus 3.8, Ephesians 2.10. He's in agreement with James that saving faith leads to good works. Now, let's go back to Romans 4 and finish up with point number 2. This one will go quickly. Like I said when I started, the first, the primary point was simply looking at Abraham. We'll still be looking at Abraham even next Wednesday. But I find it fascinating what Paul went to here. As he just goes from Abraham, and now he brings up a quote from David in a psalm. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man uh, to whom the Lord will not impute sin. See, what's so important about this? Because David is talking about himself in the psalm. Psalm 32 is a psalm he wrote right after his, his, when he was exposed for his sin of murder, of adultery, and of covetousness. It's a psalm that is written after that of David in repentance, of sorrow over what he had done, writing that. And he deals with his justification. Look at the comparison between Abraham, how the Jews like to say this righteous man. He says, listen, I got news for you. He was justified simply by faith. And reminds him of Psalm 32, David, who after he had committed gross and vile sin, I mean, think before the Jewish man, he is bringing up three of the Ten Commandments. Murder, covetousness, adultery. And here's David's words. 
The blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. David, just like Abraham, by the way, needed God's righteousness on his life. So Paul goes from a man who would follow the Lord as close as he could to a man at a point in his life had sinned greatly before God. How could David be just? How could David be saved and declared righteous? How, based on what the Jewish teaching, how could this man possibly be justified? Because according to him, God would never do it then. Oh, but he was. And he reminds him of that in Psalm 32. How it wasn't based on David's works. Paul showing from Psalm 32 that we are justified by faith alone. David knew God imputed to him righteousness. That his righteousness and salvation is all of God. I mean, what a great, great verse. Verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That it will not be credited to your account. It will not be reckoned to you. That happens at the moment of salvation. And think about this. Paul's already laid the theology down. He's going to get into it even more when we get into chapter 5. It's not possible for it to be imputed unto you once you're saved. Why is that? It was already paid for. It was already paid for. All of it. All of it was paid for. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? But oh, what mercy and grace of the Lord that we can say as David and remind ourselves, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So David is demonstrating through this illustration that justification before God is in fact by faith alone apart from works. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now let me ask this, an important question. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Because you will stand before God one day and He will judge you. And you will be found guilty. We have all, we've all broken God's law. The entire reason that God became a man 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ, was to save you from that judgment. As I just got done talking about, He lived that perfect life as a man. Then he went to the cross so this transaction could take place where he could impute unto you what he could impute, reckon to you, put on your account is his perfect life. And then what gets imputed unto him is all of your sin, all of your vileness and your wickedness. And then he pays the judgment in your place. Oh, if you'll come to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. Is there anyone here right now say, Pastor, I think I need that. I don't know for certain heaven is my home. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I hear you. Please pray for me. If that's that, that you, just raise your hand where I can see it. 
I see some small children. If you did raise your hand, I missed it. I would need you to do it again for me. All right, Christian, if you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 304. And if you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray. Mm -hmm.